It's really incredible that we are heading into 2020. And um, there's a lot to that. And I definitely wanted to um, do this talk on in this series on awareness, um, on seeing, on seeing clearly. So uh, we're calling it 2020 in 2020, gaining better vision, gaining better clarity. Um, so let me talk a little bit about that, because to my mind, I thought, Boy, everything I do lately and everything that I'm experiencing has to do with awareness, increased awareness, right? I mean, we're always talking about that, you know, at least the conversations I'm having with, uh, with folks is about becoming more aware, aware of yourself and aware of your environment around you. And the more I did that, the more I thought, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what this would do uh, if I were to look at it through that lens, if I were to look at scripture through the lens of awareness, because if awareness is so important as it's being talked about today, um, that it's critical to everything. Like your, your, your understanding of who you are and how you function in this world is so important to growth. Then you would think that the master teacher, Jesus on growth, on transformation would have said something about awareness, would have said something about getting that higher level of consciousness. And there's all sorts of terms. I want to sort of say them because depending upon your context, you might be familiar with a particular term more so than another one. So in some circles, it's higher level of consciousness. In other circles, it's called awareness. In other places, it's called, um, it's called the aha moment or an epiphany, right? You've heard all those terms before? So these are all familiar to you. Um, <clears throat> in scripture, it's called seeing, it's called uh, being awakened or, 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 you know, going from death to life, right? So you have this language, it's rich in metaphor to speak to, to, to this thing of becoming more aware. Uh, one of the things I've discovered in my coaching is that I really can't help anybody if they just don't see. You know, if, they, if they perceive that the problem is external to themselves, like the problem is my family, the problem's my husband, my wife, the problem's my kids, my problem's my parents, problem's my teachers, problem's my, the problem is all of these things. It's my upbringing, it's the way I was raised. I, I, I'm still struggling with some of that. And it's always outside of themselves. It's always the circumstance. Then at that point, I just have to say, there's not much I can do. Because I can't help somebody who can't see what it is that's going on within themselves, right? And a lot of people today are in that space of saying, you know, it's, it's, it, it's something else outside of me. And, and then they'll go to, some will even go to, oh, I know I'm screwed up too. But you know, I just wish that people weren't so mean. Well, then you just went right back outside of yourself again. Like you went right back out to the problem is outside of you, right? That places you in a place. It's all sorts of things like that. There are people who don't want to ever become awake to anything. And so what do we do when we don't want to become awake to anything that's within ourselves or we want to forget? There's all sorts of ways to do that. There's lots of chemicals available to us today to get away from ourselves, to get away from our problems, but every single one of our problems, every single struggle is actually a gift by God for your growth. Every single one. That's the reason why when you read scripture in the light of wisdom and you see it that way, you start to recognize that's the reason why 
problems are plentiful within the stories of, of the Bible and that there's, there doesn't seem to be like a, like, let's get out of here. Let's escape this. It's almost as if like the problem is part of God's plan and that that's part of God's plan for your own growth. Right. But the problem is there to do what? To surface a deeper problem. Remember, for those of you who were here last week, I said, what does God do when you face a problem? Does God get rid of the problem for you? And the answer was no, God actually makes the problem worse. God turns the heat up. Why? Because the point of it is to get you to stop looking on the outside as if the problem's out there and to start tuning into what is the problem that lives within me? Evil isn't on the outside. The beast of the, the monsters aren't on the outside. The monster is within me as well. Now it is on the outside, but it's also within me. And until I see that, I can't change that. And I remain a victim to the circumstances in my life. And how many victims do we have in this world? Lots. And every single one of us at some point plays victim. I, I'm guilty of it just as you are. And so awareness gets us out of that space into, oh, I, I see it's me. <laughs> I'm the de common denominator to all my problems, interestingly enough. And then that gives you the opportunity for the first time to begin growing. Awareness is the greatest gift we could have. So this is where I want to dive in and see if this is really found within scripture, within the Bible, within the stories of Jesus. Um, and so what I wanted to do is... Um, Begin with, uh, let's see, where should we begin? Scriptural setting for seeing. How do you like that? Three S's. Scriptural setting for seeing. <laughs> uh, all right, so John. John's the most mystical books, uh, book of, of the, um, the four Gospels. Um, the other ones are a little bit less mystical. John tends towards that really, you know, mystical thinking. It's a very, very strange way of, of, of writing, but he laces metaphor and symbols together and it makes it a little bit complicated. I, I remember people used to say, um, when, when people would first talk, you know, visitors would come to church and they were new to faith, uh, they were instructed to read the book of John. And then I remember a professor saying, why in the world would you ever tell somebody who's brand new to any of this to read the book of John? It is the most complicated book of the, <laughs> the most complicated gospel of the new, of, of, of the new Testament. However, However, it's also very intuitive to some people who um, will read it and go, oh, this is making sense of a whole lot. For example, in John chapter three, what's the most popular verse in America? John 3.16. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, who, <clears throat> who is speaking at this point in John three? It's Jesus. He's speaking of who? Himself. Right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, uh, me, Jesus is, is claiming that, um, not to condemn the world, he says in verse 17, right? But to offer the world something new. And then he goes into the light came into the world. Now, when Jesus speaks of the light came into the world, for those of you who've read the New Testament, who is Jesus referring to when he says the light has come into the world? Himself, himself right? So are you starting to get the sense of awareness, lights on, epiphany, right? That's the whole point of that. The light has come, but what does he say? 
Men prefer darkness over light. So now we start with love. God so loved the world that he gave his son. But even though he's the light of the world, people prefer darkness. Now in the ancient world, light was considered wisdom. Okay. This is beyond right and wrong thinking. This goes beyond rule thinking. Rules thinking is here's the command. I have to do it. I may not want to do it. I may not actually do it, but here's the command. And I know it's the right thing to do. Wisdom goes way beyond that. Wisdom says, how does this open my eyes to where I'm at, to who I am? And, and, and how does this open my eyes to greater understanding, greater knowledge? Right? And so the ancient world began to seek out, particularly in this time, uh, during the time that, uh, well, just after uh, the Greco, uh, it was the Greco-Roman Empire, but Greece uh, was very much about wisdom understanding, knowledge, and it prided itself in that. And then Rome came and took over, but Rome adopted a lot of that. And so this is the sort of culture in which Jesus is born. He's born in a culture that has a couple cultures going on, uh, the Jewish culture and then the Greco-Roman culture. The Greco-Roman culture is all about wisdom and understanding and seeing. And the Jewish wisdom is also about seeing, Right? But they're a little bit at odds with each other. And so this is, the, this is how uh, the context in which Jesus shows up, in which Paul, the apostle shortly after Jesus, writes. And so when Jesus shows up and says, I'm the light of the world, it's, it's using the metaphors that people were used to about seeing and understanding, about wisdom, about knowledge. All right, so Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then in John chapter nine, there's a story about a man who was blind from birth. This man who is blind from birth is healed by Jesus. But first, the question is this, this man who was blind from birth uh, in John chapter nine, verse one, as he went along, speaking of Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What does Jesus answer? Neither, he says, because neither, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, he blows a concept that everybody had, which was if you were born with a defect, it must have been some kind of sin in your history, in your ancestry that caused you to have this, this effect. Okay. And Jesus takes this concept of blindness, which is a reality in this man, not just a concept. And then what he does with it is really magnificent, or at least what John does with it as he's writing is incredible. Because then what happens is Jesus says this, as long as it is day, this immediately follows us. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. I used to read this and go, what is, wait, Again, someone has ADHD and not just me who's, write, who's reading this or who's writing this because he's talking about a man blind from birth and then he answers the question about sin, that it isn't anybody's sin. And then he says, as long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Well, is he talking metaphorically? It's day? Is this like a season where there's a daytime and there's a nighttime? What's that referring to? And then uh, he says, 
While I am, or night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. All right. Now this is stretching some of your minds. I know it's too early for this, but what, but I, but I want you to start to see this. What's happening here is the author is playing around with the terms light, right? Blindness and seeing light and darkness. It's more than just healing somebody for the sake of healing as wonderful as that is. What the author is doing is starting to, to, to teach. Okay. And this is what's good. This is where it come around to make sense of this in a real, real uh, practical way. Um, Jesus then finishes off this passage. Okay. He heals the blind man, blind man sees. Um, and then he gets tossed out of the, uh, out of the, uh, out of the synagogue. He gets tossed out because he's, he challenges the Pharisees. Pharisees are saying, who healed you? How did he heal you? Why did he heal you? He healed on the Sabbath. He shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath. And the blind man says, listen, I don't know who, wh- what the problem is here. <laughs> Once I was blind, but now I see. Okay. So he finishes with that stunning statement. Once I was blind, but now I see. And then uh, Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into the world. This is at the end of this passage in chapter nine, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Oh, so this is more than just about a miracle of healing a blind man. This is about what? This is about opening the eyes of people so that they can actually see in a deeper way and see a lot of things in a deeper way, see themselves, see other people, see God in a different way. So, um, some of the Pharisees who were with, with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see your guilt remains. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> like his problem wasn't with the blind, right? Because what does he say about blindness? It's not, a, it's not an issue of sin. It's not an issue of sin at all. If you're blind, you're blind. That's the, this is the, the wonderful news about the gospel or about what Jesus came to do was I've come to open your eyes, not to sh- throw shame and guilt on you. Remember John three, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, Jesus might be saved. But here's the problem. The next verse, I came as light, but people prefer darkness, right? So that's not, but the problem isn't that you're blind and that you can't see. The problem is that when you actually see you don't want to see <laughs> and you want to run from what you saw and you want to hide from it and you want to remain in the comfort of what you've always known, what you've always believed. And you're becoming very stubborn about that. That's the problem. Or you claim to see and you claim that you've arrived, which is what the Pharisees were doing because they couldn't see what Jesus saw. And therefore they discounted it altogether and said, it can't be. And so this is what happens. We get to a point in our faith, particularly religious institutions get to a point in growth and they say, this is it. There is no more. We know the truth. We know the truth. We know the truth in its entirety. Now, nobody ever actually says that, but that's how it kind of come, comes across. We know the truth and we've, we've arrived. We don't need to grow anymore. But what Jesus does is to say, but that's the problem because there's always more light 
to be shown. There's always more to see. And what you think you see now, you don't actually see fully. Now, who says that is the Apostle Paul. So let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8. <clears throat> Actually, let's uh, come back to 1 Corinthians 8, because this is in sort of context of 1 Corinthians. There's a lot about this. You guys know this famous love passage in 1 Corinthians 13? It's always read at weddings. Where there is love, you know, or where there is prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Okay, very unclear passage, unless you read it in the light of seeing and the light of awareness, right? First Corinthians 13 is a, this is, there's a problem in the Corinthian church and the Corinthians are very much Greek influenced people. And what they're debating about is who knows what, who knows the truth, who knows what's right and what's wrong. And there was, it was always debate about knowledge and information. And today we live in this age where there's a whole lot about information, knowledge, who's right, who's wrong. It was all these debates going on back then as there are today. And, and Paul is saying, look, at you guys are well-educated. You've learned so very much. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 8, because this is what's happening. There's a, debate, there's a debate within the church. And there's a division happening within the church. And Paul says this, now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Okay? Every one of you, you possess knowledge. You've got it. You figured it out. You know everything there is to know, or at least that's the way you're talking. You're talking in absolutes. This is this. I know, I just, I know because I know. I know I'm right. But knowledge puffs up while love does what? Knowledge does what? Puffs up. But what does love do? Builds up. What do you suppose that means? Well, verse two, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Why would he finish with that? Why would he finish with, but whoever loves God is known by God? When he's just finished talking about those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Does that seem like a logical flow to you? Do you guys get it? Maybe you get it. Maybe, you, maybe there's something that you see that I don't see. But I certainly have stumbled over this for a long time and not understood it. And along with 1 Corinthians 13, that end part there, 
Now we know in part, we prophesy in part. It was like, okay, maybe he's just saying that knowledge isn't, isn't as important as love. Maybe that's what he's saying. Knowledge is just not as important. So we should just all be dummies and just love everyone. Like be ignorant and love. Maybe that's the best thing. That's a good, that's a good support for those people who like to hide in this, their heads in the sand, you know? Like, I don't see anything. I don't want to know anything. Don't talk to me about anything that's happening in politics. I don't want to hear about it. I just want to be happy in my ignorance. Maybe that's what he's supporting. But I would suggest that there's something more here. I had, so what I did is I sat down with my nephew and niece this week who were over the house. And I said, hey, you guys want to help me with the sermon? And they were like, yeah. <laughs> so I said, what do you guys think? And it was profound wisdom that was coming out of them. I said, let's talk about this. Why, what does love have to do with knowledge? And why is there a com- comparison and a contrasting here between love and knowledge? Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Um, and it was really interesting to hear what they said. So do you suppose that love helps us to see in ways that we didn't see before? And that maybe Paul isn't just discounting knowledge. He's just saying, look, the way you guys are going about knowledge is devoid of relationship. It's devoid of self-awareness. When you know who you are and you open yourself up to the world to be loved by other people and to be known, does being known by other people and knowing other people at a deeper level and loving them create a different understanding. And immediately they said, well, yes, of course, because when you're debating and you're arguing, you're arguing ideologies, you're arguing ideas. But when you know somebody and you've listened to their story and you've heard their heart, you start to see differently. Has that ever happened to you? You, you had a conversation with somebody who saw something so differently than you did and you stayed present with them. And as you got to hear their story and they opened up to talk about why they are the way they are, how they think that suddenly things that were black and white for you are now not so black and white. And you start to actually feel uncomfortable in some sense because I'm starting to have questions about my own absolute thinking here for the first time because I've had this conversation with this other person. And so I think Paul is actually saying, but that's the problem is that we don't want to get to that place because we prefer the certainty and the comfort of our knowledge as it remains separate because we can, we don't want to actually get in contact with people and know them and understand them and be known. When someone asks you, how do you think? And why do you think the way you do? How did you come to that? Maybe you don't want to share that part. Maybe you just want to say, no, I just prefer the safety and security of my knowledge and that I'm right. I don't want to go there because then it exposes my, me and I'm vulnerable. Right? But maybe that's where there's true wisdom that can emerge is if we could sit with other people and get to know them and be known by them. And I think that's why Paul may be drawing this contrast between love and knowledge, where he says, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. And that might make sense of this first Corinthians 13, where 
Paul is saying, you're all so gifted. You've all got gifts. You get the ability to know things. You guys are just amazing. You've got all these gifts, but the problem is, is that because you know these things, you're actually creating more division within your camp. You're not united and you're not together. And when he addresses this, he says, let me talk to you about all the gifts, not because that's the focus of attention, but because I want to get to something more important here. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there's tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. This is so important. Can you say right now in this moment, I only know in part. Because this is not only important for you to say this now, but it's important for you to say this in relationship with people. Because when you're with people, it is so much easier sometimes to land on the certainty of what I know and what I believe than to say, I only know in part and to behave that way. I only know in part. But when completeness comes, Paul says, what is in part disappears. Well, what is that completeness? Hang on a second. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, this is, this is spiritual growth. This is transformational growth. When you grow, you start to see differently. I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror. And by the way, when they talk about mirrors, they're not talking about mirrors like today. We're talking about like stamped bronze. That's how they saw themselves. They didn't have glass they had stamped bronze as mirrors. So it wasn't clear. And so this is, what he, this is why, why when we look in a reflection, he's saying you, you're seeing a little bit of yourself, but not fully. So for now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part, then I shall f- know fully, even as I am fully known, right? And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love, right? Because once again, love is what causes us to go from knowing in part, in understanding in part, to understanding more fully. And you know what that's like when you have sat long enough with somebody and you have begun to understand them at a deeper level. And as you begin to understand them at that deeper level, something happens to your own heart and if you stay present to that, you don't run away from that or you don't shut them down or, or, or push them away. What ends up happening is you begin to see differently and you understand at a higher level. So what's happening on a broad level so in our society today, right now, what's happening is all this division, all this separation is happening. And there's one camp that knows for sure they're right. And the other camp knows for sure that they're right. And if you just look at both sides, you can either say, well, one side is completely wrong and I'm completely right. Or, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And then you, you swing to the other side and you go to the other side and you join that party. But the problem is, is that it's a problem of seeing because what we're seeing is not mixed with love. It isn't about love. 
It's about knowledge. It's about knowing. It's about security. It's about certainty, but it's not about love. And when we lean, lead from a place of love, when we sit down with somebody and say, I insist on the act of love, not the feeling of love, because I certainly don't feel loving right now towards Republicans or towards Democrats. I don't feel loving right now. I don't feel loving towards my neighbor or towards my, my uh, family that I just spent the week with, or I don't feel loving, you know, whatever the story is, we don't feel loving right now towards those people. But the act of love is to say, I choose to do this nonetheless, and that is I'm going to sit with you. And I'm going to understand you and I'm going to open up myself and be vulnerable and be um, accessible so that you can know me. And then in that way, I become fully known by God and I love and I am loved. So I think in terms of awareness, we have to begin with, do I really want to see more this year? Do I really want to see or do I want to hide myself, bury my head in the sand? And the thing is, if you understand this from the lens and the perspective of love, it's not about, do I want to know more information, but do I really want to know a person? Do I want to know people? And do I want to be known? And I believe that if we want to know and be known, that that begins the process of true awareness and understanding at a high level. There's a lot of people that do this thing of like, I have great self-awareness, but it's all by themselves. They don't live in any community. They don't live with anybody else. It's just like, I know all these things about myself and it's separate from other people. The kind of awareness that really produces transformation is that which is in relationship with other people. It's as I've sat with my wife and said, as much as I don't feel like listening to this right now, I'm going to hear you out. And then when she sits with me and she doesn't want to hear what I have to say, but she hears me out and we sit with that and we allow that to, 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 to just be with us for a little while without trying to get rid of it. That then what happens is we begin to grow and transform and our understanding changes. So my question to us for 2020 is, do you want to see First of all, you have to acknowledge you don't see. Could, could you admit that today? I just don't see fully. I'm going to go with scripture. I just don't see fully. I don't. As sure as I am about things, that's the best place for me is when I get to that space of, I don't really know fully. When I with, was with my niece and nephew, it's like a few times I started preaching and I'm like, Ugh, I'm so sorry, guys, I'm preaching again. And they were laughing. They go, no, we love it. We love it when you do that, you know, but then they're, but then I turn it back. Cause I know what I'm, my tendency is I turn it back and go, what do you guys think? And as they begin to talk to me, I think, oh, that's, I hadn't seen that before. That's insightful. Thank you. And I sit with it, you know, and that's the process of, of ever growing is the ability to, to, to do this give and take. And so for 2020, I really challenge us, our willingness to, first of all, recognize that we don't see. Secondly, that when we do see that we say, I choose to push forward in seeing and not bury my head in the sand. And then for us to to insist on the way we're going to do this seeing is we're going to do it by sitting with people and listening to people who are different than us and who don't think the way we think. If there's any hope for America, if there's any hope for healing to take place, it's going to have to be that we do it 
the biblical way. And remarkably, evangelicals are the worst at this. That's us, by the way. <laughs> We're the worst at it. They're worst at it because we, because we think we know. And we come across that way. We know, we know, we know, we know. We're right. And so it prevents us from actually seeing anymore, which is why so many evangelicals are stunted in their growth. They've stopped growing. The only way you can grow is by recognizing, I just don't know everything, right? This is why scientists, true, good scientists, are the ones that say, I have bigger questions than I have answers. And the questions are what guides me to ever growing and learning and understanding. That should be the kind of the way the church does it. We have bigger questions. We just don't know everything and we're wanting to learn. So I invite us together to do that. And here's one very practical challenge. If you'll take this on for 2020 is would you be willing to meet with somebody who you ordinarily wouldn't meet with and talk with? Somebody who is, thinks differently than you, behaves differently than you. You might even see that as like wrong, sinful, all that, right? But could you actually sit with them and ask them about them and not challenge them, but be interested in their story? And then would you open up about your own story to be known? Think of someone that you could do this with in the next 90 days and commit to saying, I'm going to set something up and sit with them and see if what Joel is talking about from scripture, see if that really does work in terms of opening my eyes in a new way to seeing differently. You know, it's funny as Joel was talking about that, I was thinking about how um, the steps I've taken in my life to do just that and to meet with people who don't think like that. And, and in that place, I have discovered this incredible grace um, and, and it opens me in different ways. Um, but some of you may relate to this. Like as we were talking about that, I, I was realizing there's parts of myself I have not wanted to see and not been willing to look at because I didn't have the capacity to look at those things with grace. Like some of you will look at like the worst parts of yourself all the time, but you do it in a critical way. You don't do it in a way of graceful curiosity with yourself. And so as we continue to expand in other relationships, and sometimes we can practice on other people easier than we can on ourselves. But wherever God wants to open your eyes and give you more clarity of vision this year, we ask that you do it. So even before we start singing, just take a moment and close your eyes. Say, Lord, what do you want to open my eyes to in this season, in this year? What do you want to open my eyes to see? Give me grace to see the other, to open myself. Give me grace to see parts of myself that I've been ignoring because I was afraid to see them because I didn't have enough grace for myself. Open my eyes to see.
So if I knew we were going to talk about seeing and vision so much, I would have chosen something else. But it was actually the whole perceiving thing that made me choose this because um, I was just getting that feeling that something new was going to happen. And you think, New Year, God doing something new. That's a cliche. It's terrible. Don't do it. Um, But then this verse came up, and it was this line about, um, do you perceive it? Uh, that made me change my mind because um, oftentimes you wonder, like you get asked that question, do you perceive it? And for me, it's like, uh, no, yes, sort of. So my prayer is that we can perceive it just a little bit more. Um, This is from Isaiah 40-something, bad Christian. Um, Here's the verse. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and the rivers in the desert. Do you perceive it? Happy New Year, everybody.